You're listening to the Common Descent Podcast. David. Hey, Will. And hello, listeners. Welcome to the final episode of Silver Screen Science Kai June. It's Kai June. <laughs> <laughs> this is episode five, the capstone to our series this June. The reason we're all here in the first place. The reason we're all here because we are finally discussing the most recent Godzilla film, King of the Monsters. Yeah, so we started with. King Kong and Godzilla in their origin, took a break to talk about kaiju films in general, did more of the most recent King Kong's last episode, and now at the end of the month, we are talking about the new Warner Brothers monsterverse, Godzilla. Released just at the end of May. Godzilla. So two movies today. Yes. Two movies a day. We are discussing the two new Godzilla films. So so these are the two most recent Godzilla films in this monsterverse, not in general, Shin Godzilla came out in between them. But yeah. We're discussing these two. And once again, we want to give a shout out to a couple of people, Ed for a final time, but also Alex. Uh, both suggested we talk about recent the these recent Godzilla films as well as Godzilla films in general. So thanks again for your suggestions. And this will be... The end to our discussion, since this new one came out very, very recently. If you haven't seen it, go see it. We gave you a month. So this episode, we will be discussing Godzilla 2014. 2014. And directed by Gareth Edwards and released by Warner Brothers Pictures here in the U.S. and Toho in Japan. That's cool. Which, I yeah, I like that. And the very recent movie, just at the end of May... Godzilla, the sequel, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. By Michael Doherty, also Warner Brothers, also Toho. Same Godzilla, this time two part, two two parts of the same story. And sandwiched between those two was Kong Skull Island. Which we discussed last time. So this is a semi, very loose trilogy of the monster universe so far. Shared universe. So this is another cinematic shared universe, like the Marvel films, and it's... Seemingly the first one to have any other success other than Marvel in doing it, which <laughs> is worth note. That's pretty cool. So as with all the other silver screen sciences, we'll be discussing the science of the movies, how they treat the science, the yes. scientists, and where they fit in that broad intersection of science and pop culture. And for the last time this series, spoiler warnings. Spoiler alert. This movie just came out, folks. If you want to see it, Go see it. If you are like on the fence, go see it. Please go it's see so it. It's so cool. Oh. <laughs> we, we are. We really like it. Go to Patreon for more thoughts. Yes. After you listen to this <laughs> for our other thoughts. But ooh, it's good. Now, in this discussion, we're going to kind of discuss the two movies at once because yeah. they're dealing with the same Godzilla, many of the same scientists and the same concepts. So we're going to just discuss them together as one big movie. But to give you the plots, just a brief synopsis of what situation you're getting into. In Godzilla 2014, a incident at a nuclear power plant in Japan causes its collapse and shutdown and the wardening off of the city around it. And it's discovered it was caused by a giant creature named a Muto in this. Mm-hmm. 
and massive unidentified terrestrial organism. Not bad. It's what Monarch goes looking for, the organization from Kong Skull Island that is tracking these mutos. Yes, shields for kaiju. And they keep this away, hidden from the world, until it hatches. And its hatching summons Godzilla Gojira. to put things right. He's here to stomp out the competition. Literally. And Godzilla originally surfaced during the bomb testings after World War II. In 1954. In 1954. <laughs> and those bomb testings were an attempt to kill Godzilla, not to test bombs. Yes. Which is a, a neat a retcon. rehistory telling. Yep. So Godzilla comes out, starts fighting the Muto. Second Muto arises, female to the male. Mm-hmm. And now we have to worry about them breeding. And awesome monster fights ensue with Godzilla surviving to show up again in King of the Monsters, where now we find out much more about Monarch, who has, they have kaiju all over the planet that they've been hiding. Yeah, and these secret facilities. And now we start getting the identification of Titans. Yes. And already we have this idea that these are ancient organisms with a radiation-based biology and diet. They fed off radiation. They exuded radiation. Yes. And they had gone to hide deeper in the Earth as Earth's surface radiation levels lowered. They went down toward the core to feed off of radiation in Earth's toward Earth's center. And they've been waiting. And they've been waiting. Our use of radioactive material for power atomic weapons yes. has summoned them back to the surface and the concept in king of the monsters once again spoilers Spoiler. huge t- turn back now please if you want <laughs> to see this movie please go see it without spo- is that these titans are here to reclaim the planet and to bring natural order back to the planet yes. by reinvigorating the environments that once were and there is an eco-terrorist organization that's trying to release them to wipe out humanity. Yep. And there's Monarch, who's trying to work with Godzilla to stop them. Team up with him against the evil monsters. We see a bunch of other titans, oh, including yeah. some favorites from yep. the Godzilla lore. And King Ghidorah. Who is the main antithesis. Ghidra, who is the, spoilers, invasive species. A highly invasive species. And... Then the monsters fight, and it's the coolest gosh darned oh. thing that you'll see in the theaters, at I, least since the last coolest gosh darn thing that was in the theaters. I have no words, because we've already put our words in more thoughts. More thoughts. I have that. no words. <laughs> <laughs> but let's start as we always do, Will. With the critters. Critters. What do we see? So, as we've discussed in other kaiju movies, it's hard to, like, categorize, because these are all just movie monsters. Yes. There's no animal analog. Interesting thing here, Godzilla is not an animal created by our misuse of radioactive science. Not this time. He has always been Godzilla and now has come back. So instead of being, as he has been in some canon, a altered dinosaur, yep, he is a monster inspired in his human creation, like in the real world, by dinosaurs. Yep. But in the actual canon of these movies, that's just who he is. He's just Godzilla. Just Godzilla. And so that's one of the things that's very interesting here is in the original Godzilla movies, Rodan was a kaijuified pterosaur. Yes. Literally monsterified 
in the the plot of the movie. Yes. <laughs> and you know that you had lots of other Mothra was just a moth. Yeah, presumably and, an ancient moth. Yes, a giant big moth, but it was a big version of a moth. And yep. so and a lot of those they were transformed for or in the movie. In here they have resemblance. You know, Mothra is still called Mothra and it looks like a big insectoid creature. Yep. And Rodan is still a you know flying terror. But they're not supposed to be a pterosaur. They're not supposed to be yes. a one-to-one moth. Despite being clearly inspired by them. Yes. Yeah, they are... So in this case, it's not so much we're looking at renditions of prehistoric creatures. We're looking at or, at, at monsters heavily inspired yes. by various creatures. Yes. So we get a whole series. Godzilla is our, our big main monster hero. And the thing, instead of going through each one and just describing what the monsters are, because there's not actually any biology for me to describe. Not really. Really. There's some interesting things. They give Rodan talons on its, on its wings. They do. Uh, like, like a pterosaur would have mid-wing. They give it these little... Now, this Rodan has hands here. Yes. <laughs> so that's a little different. But I thought that was a neat way. It's not just a big bird. Yeah, he's very pterosaur-inspired. His face is very old school pterosaur. Yeah, it is. It's like a decrepit eagle face. Yeah. And he uses his feet to grab stuff. He does. Because it's just, that's always... Well, Rodans are well known as perchers and talon grabbers. (laughs) Yeah, that's what they do. Uh, Someday, someday, listeners, we will find a movie. Yes. That does not have pterosaurs grabbing stuff with their feet. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. Nope. If you know of it, please tell us. Let us know. We need I'm it. I'm trying to remember if Journey to Dinosaur Island did it. I, it may not have. It did have uh, humans riding pterosaurs. I didn't see it. But yeah, well, it wasn't very good. <laughs> so we have Rodan. So Rodan's there. Mothra is very, very much like what we said with the, the bamboo spider in Kong Island. Just an amalgamation of arthropod traits. Yep. It's got a spiky overpositor. It's got these... Tyranid Zerg scythe arms. Yeah, the uh, raptorial forearms. Which is yeah, like a fantastic. Mantis. It's just so nice to see Mothra being cool. <sighs> I loved Mothra. Uh, this Godzilla also was made to be a much more organically believable. They, in the behind the scenes talk about, they wanted to, they designed this Godzilla with the mentality of if Godzilla actually existed. Yes. Godzilla actually existed, what would he look like? So they gave him very sturdy, calmer. Columnar, columnar, columnar legs. They gave him, uh, you know, not just bumpy, rough skin, scaled osteoderm, yeah, cover. osteoderm like, and his his tail's still very round, but it at least has a little bit more of a croc vibe. Yeah, to it. and they made him. I com- I ranted about this in the original Godzilla. Yes. that they have him in the water, but he looks like someone left their action figure in the in the pool. Yeah. This Godzilla swims. He swims. He has a swimming posture, and he swims side to side like a reptilian creature would do. Absolutely. Although, of course, the reason that reptilian creatures do that is because they're derived from fish, and that's how fish do it. So why does Godzilla do it if he's a wholly separate branch off the... Because he's humble and he learned from... He taught them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's where the fish... Where do you think the fish learned it? (laughs) He learned it from the the badger moles. (laughs) Um... (laughs) 
So he's much more he go as in as much as a how big is he? Uh, three hundred fifty foot tall. Three hundred fifty foot creature can be biologically plausible. He's more biologically plausible. Than they make before. active attempts to try to make him biologically believable. Yeah, which is other than the ninety eight version, which attempted <laughs> is one of the first times we've seen it with a true Godzilla. That was Zilla. Yeah, yeah. And so that's very cool. The Mutos are the one we get the most biology from. Yeah, so in Godzilla 2014, the main monsters that Godzilla's fighting against, two Mutos, who are these hexapod vertebrate thing, like they're insectoid, but they're not exoskeleton. They're... Yeah, they're like, they look like aliens. Yeah. That's really, yeah, they look like they're made out of metal. Absolutely. They're they're eight-limbed creatures. They're not actually hexapods. They're octopods. They're octopods. They're octopuses. Uh, they are. And octopodes. <laughs> octopodes. Uh, the male is smaller and flighted, while the female is beefier and egg-laden. They gave them sexual dimorphism. They did. They're sexually dimorphic. Go back to episode 63. We talked about sexual yes. dimorphism. It's, that's actually really cool that they are sexually dimorphic titans with a courtship Yep, they, they're calling to each other and they court. And the male can fly. So I counted a grasping pair of limbs. Yep. Two walking pairs and wings. Yep. Whereas the female has a grasping pair and three walking pairs. Exactly. Like fireflies, some species of fireflies, the males fly and the females don't. Yeah, and I like that the males' wings are the eighth, the the seventh and eighth limbs. Yes, they didn't just slap dragon wings on it. Yeah, he loses a pair of grasping or walking limbs, and I like that. Yeah, to have those wings. Well, the female is huge. She's almost as tall as Godzilla, so she's got all these extra legs to hold her up. And she carries the eggs. Which Big pouch of eggs. Would be why she's huge. Exactly. It's like some cool biological thought went into this. They're also somewhat parasitoid or parasitic because the pods for the mutos were found on the ribcage of some other ancient radioactive titan. Yeah. Feeding off its internal radiation. They survived its death for millions of years and then hatched uh but there's this semi-parasitoid thing now we don't see that when the female lays her eggs in this so i don't that part of the life cycle is a little vague but it's highly inspired by real life insects absolutely it's got i also like that the male provides her with a radioactive gift it gives her a present like spiders like some spiders do it's cool which makes me wonder because the reason that some spiders do it is to avoid getting eaten mm-hmm. while they mate. That's apparently not what's going on here. No, it is a present to feed to the young. Yeah, like they're both providing for the young. Which is cool. It's really cool and it makes it hard to root against them. It does. It's actually like, very... Godzilla shows up and I'm like, uh, but... Oh, they worked really hard. Yeah. They waited a long time. There's a big whole part of the plot where they're tracking the activity of the mutos as they're communicating yes and as when the mutos communicate with each other i thought it was interesting the kinds of noises they were making yeah yeah they were very dolphin-esque and they keep in as they reference it via echolocation 
in yeah. the first movie. But in the second movie, they full-on call it sonar. Yep. And they compare it to whales communicating yeah. across the ocean. That the that And this is the, th- the part that start to get a little wacky, but King of Monsters gets just goes full wacky. Yeah. Which is absolutely fine. No, uh, it is. But all the Titans can communicate that way. All the Titans can pick up on each other's yep. biosonar across the globe, and some can actively communicate with one another, and some can call to others. And it's this interesting idea that all these extremely different creatures have some sort of singular connection. Yeah, more on that in a little bit. Yes. We see glimpses of a whole bunch of other Titans and King of Monsters. Yes. Uh, there's a bunch that we don't get any good look at. You know, no. Behemoth and Scylla are and two that show up. Macaulay Mbembe yeah. is supposed to be in it. That's the, the We talked about Macaulay Mbembe in the Cryptozoology episode, Yes, we right? did. 46, which is... The African Dinosaur of the Mist. The Congo Cryptid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there's a whole bunch out there. We only get glimpses of those. The final titan is Ghidra. Ghidra. King Ghidorah, if you're American. Or Monster Zero, as his movie was titled. Yes. Back in the day. And they call him that in they this. Do. They do. There's a lot of cool references to Yeah, if you're, if you're a fan stuff. of the films, go see it. Um, you should have seen it already, because we've spoiled everything. Yes, <laughs> we have. Yes. Godzilla wins in the end. As David alluded to, one of the most interesting things... With Ghidorah here is... Now, Ghidorah is a three-headed dragon. That's two-tailed, three heads. Two wings. Two wings, no arms, big back legs. Three-headed dragon. They do some interesting stuff with that. We were leaving the theater and I commented on the fact that I'm always interested to see when movies do multi-headed animals. If all the heads move with one mind or if they have different minds. And in this one, they have different personas. They, They snap at each other going for a piece of food. Yep. Which is... I've always found that interpretation of multi-heads interesting, because while thematically it's fun, biologically that that would be hard to eat anything. Yes, it would. You're fighting with yourself. That would be like if my left hand and right hand wrestled over who got to grab something. Yep. Like every time I went to grab something, my left hand comes in and tries to interrupt the <laughs> right hand. Stop it. Slap. Stop. I, I gave it to him. <laughs> yeah, that's, that. it's kind of weird, but the... Kind of the really cool answer to a lot of the weird stuff that Ghidorah does is that he's not from Earth. No, he's an alien. He is an alien, and they refer to him as an invasive species. They do. And so they, and now we're getting into the science a little bit. Yes. They refer to Godzilla as an ancient alpha predator. That's the term they consistently use. Alpha predator. Alpha predator. Which... And we discussed this... When did we discuss this? We talked about this at some point, probably in the first Godzilla. This notion of an alpha predator, which is a thing that isn't really a... Well, it's mixing like, two concepts. Yeah. It's, mis- it's mixing the concept of the alpha of a pack and an apex. Apex predator is what they meant to say. Yeah. Apex predator. But also that in King of the Monsters, Godzilla is both because he's... Also the, quote, alpha of the Titans. The king of the monsters. King of the monsters. He's the one in charge. And so so there's a couple of things to unpack. We, we, have, we are transitioning into the science because 
Yes. We've kind of discussed the Titans, and now to discuss them further, we have to start getting into the science that they throw around. So let's talk about Godzilla science. The concept of an apex predator is a completely valid real thing. Apex predators, for all of you, just so you know, does not mean you're not eaten by anything, but it means you are the top of the food chain. You are most likely eating everything else, and it is rare that you are being eaten unless you're young or weak or some other rare occurrence. Right. So apex predators are always shown as this thing of like, and nothing eats them. Wow, there should be a bunch then. Yeah, that sounds great. (laughs) But these are those predators, you know, great white sharks are a common version of this. Polar bears. Polar bears, you know, uh, jaguars in South America. Tigers. These animals where, other than a couple of exceptions here or there, Africa has a number of animals that could compete for an apex predator style title, which is one of the reasons that it stands out in our biosphere as being such a interesting place to study. Because if you're in the water, well then, you know, crocodiles, but if you're in the savannah, then lions, but then if you're, you know, in a forested area, then leopards. Yeah. So it's got, (laughs) it's not just like, oh, there's just always that one top of the pyramid. That's not how it works, but there are ecosystems where it does. And they're suggesting that Godzilla is this apex predator of this ancient titan ecosystem. Yes. Even though we never see him eat anyone, even after murdering the Mutos. And it's explained that he feeds on radiation. Yes. And that's why they go, they actually say that Godzilla comes from a time when the Earth was ten times more radioactive than it is today. Yarp. And that's not really like the earth is radioactive yeah uh elements decay unstable elements decay within you know, the uh, in within the earth's crust and deeper down but it's it's one of those we're making up a primordial savage world where it was lightning and lava all the time they're adding radiation to that sort yes. of mythical image of an ancient world which is inhospitable and un un you know, yes uninhabitable and so as we mentioned in the last episode the titans had to go down to follow the radiation which is sort of kind of like science you, you could find some connections in there there's radio again radioactivity below the surface yes and the feeding off radiation the most interesting part of that to me is that then all these animals also still have teeth because they're monsters because they're monsters so they have to fight the radiation is really and the, the thing that's interesting here is they've made all of them radioactive yeah all the time kind of interesting have a radiation to them it's not normal radiation necessarily but it's all there so godzilla is described as an apex as an alpha predator Ghidorah is also described as an alpha predator and this is where we get into the alpha side of it mm-hmm. they're basing it off not only are you top person on the food chain your top predator you're also in charge the boss and this is based off of the concept of the alpha now alpha has a weird history and there's some support and also mistakes in it like the alpha of a wolf pack is not actually the alpha it's the mating the dominant mating pair male and female there's not an alpha and a beta of a wolf pack that's all wrong yep I'm sorry, but it is. <laughs> it's a dominant mating pair who are equally in charge of the wolf pack and everyone else takes care of their babies. Yes. So 
Now, there are animals that have what you would call an alpha. Right. Some one in charge. Silverback gorillas. And, but there's still a hierarchy under them. It's not like, you know, I'm the general, you're all my soldiers. I'm the boss here, but then there's the boss female who bosses around the females. And then there's the second in charge male who bosses around the other males. Right, right. And they all have their own little clique. So it's, it doesn't quite work that way, except in you social insects. (laughs) And even in those situations, there's vying for a hierarchy. And there are certain ants where females can take over the colony mm-hmm. by usurping the queen. So the alpha thing is a very simplistic view of animal interaction, but they are taking it to mean that it is the one who demands fealty. It's the king. It's the king and of so monsters. Godzilla and Ghidorah, Ghidorah fight for that title. Who gets to be in charge? And the notion of an invasive species coming in and kicking out the endemic yes. top of is kind of cool. And I like the way they use... That's why they make Ghidorah the bad guy. It's not because he's versus our favorite monster. It's because if Godzilla wins, the ecosystem will be in a balance that it once had. Yes. If Ghidorah wins, it's going to be in some new balance that none of us know what to expect or are prepared for. Yep. Because he's going to make the world his. One little science note that I, I noted in the first Godzilla... There was a scene where they're in Hawaii, and they show this little chameleon. Yes. Walking over, and it's a little three-horned chameleon. Yeah. A little uh, uh, Jackson's chameleon, I believe. Yes. And anytime I see an animal in a movie, I'm like, what? Where are you supposed to be? Yep. Because I'm pretty sure those don't live there. (laughs) Yep. And I googled it, and they are introduced in Hawaii. Well done, movie. Well done, movie. Yeah. I um, I thought I caught you. You win this time, Warner <laughs> <All right>. Brothers. <laughs> but I'm watching you, McCoy. <laughs> and so they have a, a a very eco, you know, conservation message through these. Now, on one hand, that's really cool. Yes. Awesome. Go ecosystem. We all kind of live in it. I'd like us to be pro it. <laughs> and they have a whole bunch of things of... Us needing to recognize the damage we've done, that we are throwing things out of balance, that unless we make changes, we will be in trouble, and the Earth will, as a whole, suffer for it, including us. The one part I take issue with Mm -hmm. is that they constantly talk about returning things to the natural balance, that, you know, they are going to reinsert the natural balance, that if... We only left nature to its means, everything would come back into a balance. Yes. And now, yes, from our perspective and our time, you know, in our experience of time, that is fairly true. If you stop messing around with Yellowstone, Yellowstone will go back to the way it was before we got there. Eventually. For the most part. Kind of. And if you stop messing with coral reefs, they will start growing reefs again like they did before we started messing with it. But I dislike the implication that there's a that it's on purpose, which is the thing the movies give a lot is like they're here to reinsert balance. Right. The and living planet idea. Yeah, that the animals are there's a quote from the first Matrix where when Agent Smith is trying to break Morpheus and he's talking about humans are a disease. Yes. 
And he has a line where he says, all other animals naturally form a balance with their ecosystem. And I've, and that mentality and that sort of sentiment gets used in movies all the time. Yep. Of like, they all find a natural balance and we come in and screw it. The only reason animals are in balance is because they murder each other. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a holdover from the old, old notions. Like we talked about in episode 56, these old notions of how nature was built this way. Yes. Is that this is the way it's supposed to be. Every creature has a purpose and every ecosystem has its natural Everyone state. has a job, which is another one that I have issues with. And we talked about it way back in episode 8 and also episode 35. This There's this sort of mentality that there is a normal state. Yes. When you hear conservation discussions, a lot of times you'll hear people say, oh, well, we just need to put nature back the way it was. Yeah, exactly. As though... 1980 or 1800 or 10,000 years ago was the way it's supposed to be. Exactly. That that's that that's uh square one. Right, right, right. And this movie does that as well where they're going to come back and reinsert nature. But there's that part of it that goes, "Okay, but if these things are like older than everything else on the planet, does that include deer in their plan?" Yeah, Did what they... does their version of nature <laughs> yeah, look like? Like <laughs> That's it just it it is they're gonna get two of every titan it's yeah exactly it's that and just <laughs> and we will all go off and repot it's that whimsical view of conservationism yes and i get it emotionally i get it but that's not how it actually works and that kind of perception of conservation has actually caused damage to conservation efforts and caused misunderstandings of what is actually going to help yes and it has misplaced energy so now i still love this movie oh the movie's great but i want to put that but this trope that trope is really really off the mark when it comes to true conservation because that's not how it works and that's also not always the point yes and that's we have paleo conservation episode so you can go episode eight go, go listen to that and we go over this in much more detail but this movie portrays that very heavily now the way they represent that is actually really interesting and cool in that the titan's radiation actively reinvigorates the ecosystem that they pass through that yeah. they pass through presumably by inciting mutations that are then positively selected yeah or or <laughs> yeah it's that's somehow they're they're steroiding it up now the radiation doing it that's that's magic yeah but i was reminded of it whilst watching our planet when they go to chernobyl and show how much the nature has how much the ecosystem has retaken the city of chernobyl that's that's the secret it's not that the radiation invigorates the ecosystem it's that it gets rid of all the humans yeah it gives us cancer (laughs) and it chases us away and so nature can can (laughs) be pollution free and and hunting free i would love for someone to come through and and King Kong versus Godzilla and just be like, hey, so we figure it's not the radiation's not doing anything to the it, it's just we're not there. It's just us. It's just us. We stopped using pesticides and that made a big difference. It also makes the Titans sort of this very extreme version of ecosystem engineers. 
Yeah, they really are. That they are shaping the landscape in a way that ecosystems are then built upon. They're that they're they're a keystone species to the extreme. And what I want to see is what happens when one of them dies. Yeah. Is there a, is there a kaiju fall? Yes. Yeah. Does just a forest sprout out from them? Yeah, that'd be cool. It's very, very intriguing way to look at things. So some interest. Oh, and King of the Monsters builds upon the Hollow Earth it notion. Does. It does. That Skull Island. Uh, we talked. We, we talked about this in Skull Island. Absolutely. So, last episode. But it builds upon that, and it adds that not only did ancient creatures live down in those tunnels, but ancient cultures and. And it's a cool, cool scene when they find an ancient city yep. in an underground, underwater, giant tunnel through Earth's crust. Super radioactive. Super radioactive. I'm shocked that no one called it Atlantis. Uh, yeah, I was waiting for it. Yep. And now, there's always the question. Whenever things are like, oh, wow, look at these ruins down here. And now, yes, there are undersea ruins of places that have sloped into the ocean oh, since sure. they were built. But how'd you get way down there? Was there water there? Yeah. Well, and it's, again, you... it's this trope of the primordial earth. Really good free divers? Ancient peoples. Yes. And it also builds nicely on the hollow earth conspiracy theory thing with early humans. Yeah. And or ancient secret societies. Forgotten cultures. I'm not saying it's aliens. <laughs> but it's Atlantis. It's Atlantis. <laughs> Atlanteans. And... That, that part's interesting. I do like that it's how they explain Godzilla getting around the Earth so quickly. Is that he has these yeah. shortcuts. Little, little tunnels he takes. Through the through the crust. Uh, so yeah, it's very interesting on, on those aspects. Now, in the first of these MonsterVerse Godzillas, we do have scientists, but they they do a random amount of sciencing. In, the, in Godzilla 2014. We have... Brian Cranston. So we're going to talk about scientists <laughs> yes. and what kind of, how the scientists are portrayed. Yes, Brian, Brian Cranston. We have Brian Cranston, who is playing Joe Brody, father of the main action hero of the movie, Ford Brody. By Adrian Brody. Adrian Brody. <laughs> uh, Quicksilver. Yes. And so he is a, uh, he's a technician at the, the uh, power plant in Japan that starts the movie off by breaking down yes and it's he's an engineer there but he also is well associated with seismology and is the one that introduces the bioacoustics of the titans yeah he he has sort of the same thing and um kyle chandler's character in king, king of the monsters does this too yeah where there and now kyle chandler's character is maybe sort of a scientist He's supposed to be an animal behavior and communication specialist, according to Wikipedia. Okay. The two of them both have that trope we've talked about before, where they are as scientists as exposition machines. And they're also the people that, like, come in and are like, what? You did what? If you had just asked me, I would have told you that was nonsense. And what's funny, two things. One, I love that Brian Cranston, when they're going into the radio wick, <laughs> He has to explain the effects of radiation to his wife, who is a nuclear engineer. Yeah. <laughs> and then Kyle Chandler's character in King of the Monsters was super funny because he's 
the scientist guy. Yep. But he's also the action guy. Yep. So he's the pinnacle of the know-it-all scientist yep. trope. He spends the movie telling every single other person how to do their job. He's the one that with all the insight, he figures out every awkward... He tells the military how to do the military strategies. <laughs> He's t- like, it's hilarious. It And they even have the moment of finding him out in the woods. I don't do that kind of job anymore. Yeah. <laughs> 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 they find him as Logan. Yeah. Hanging out with wolves. It's, you know, very, very cliche. Now we have other scientists that I can't specifically tell you. I think Sarazawa is listed as a paleontologist officially. I love, first of all, that Dr. Sarazawa yes. is in the movie. And he's canonically supposed to be, what, the grandchild? I think so. Of the original Dr. Sarazawa from the 54 movie. Yeah. And my favorite thing about Dr. Sarazawa is just like the original Dr. Sarazawa, he is a renowned scientist, much like... Highly respected. Everyone loves him. And we have no idea what he does. No, he is a Godzilla specialist. He He, knows Godzilla personally. He just knows stuff. He also has that, like, this trope we've talked about. He just knows science things. He is personal, good friends with Godzilla. He identifies a lot of what the Mutos are doing in the first one. In the first, in, in, in 2014, they come across the fossils and he looks at them and goes... And 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 uh, uh, his assistant goes partner lady. Yeah, um, Sally Hawkins as Doctor Vivian Graham. She says, "Is this him? Is this him?" And he says, "No, this is much older." This is, yeah. How do you know? Yeah. Well, guys, I dated it with my eyes because <laughs> because of the stretch marks. And he identifies <laughs> all the stuff. He just knows. He's the scientist he's the titan specialist who knows about titans when he needs to know about titans when he doesn't need to know other people know (laughs) yes it's like he knows everything about the titans and then someone's like well what about bioacoustics bio what yeah (laughs) and then they have to so there is the the lead lady in king of the monsters yep who is the wife of Kyle Chandler's character, the animal behavior dude. Yeah, Vera Farmiga as Dr. Emma Russell. And she does bioacoustics. Yes. Which in this movie means that she plays around with the sounds that Titans make to, to make a sound that controls them. To, yeah, to mind control them. It's yeah. basically she's a Titan ch- snake charmer, and which also doesn't work. And that harkens, I, li- I like, to the comment you made in, I think it was the Meg. I think it was your mini mm-hmm, rant in mm-hmm, the Meg. That mm-hmm. note that there's this trope that any stimulus... Yeah, whoa, don't make vibrations in the water, because every shark on the planet's going to come here. It's going to feel It's gonna feel you through all the other fish making vibrations. Yep. It's, it's that same the camera's on it. Yeah. <laughs> that this particular frequency will drive them mad. There's one where Everybody they... Everybody loses their minds. Literally use it to stop the motions of every other kaiju on the planet, except the four named ones. Yeah. (laughs) It's very convenient science. So, there are scientists by name, if not by trade. Yeah. It's, there's also Dr. Rick Stanton by Bradley Whitford. Yep. That does 
stuff. I don't know what he does. He can track Godzilla's biosignature through his... <laughs> and tell them yeah. how he's doing, as well as control remote control subs, and he records everything. Yep. He's that guy. He's funny. I like him, but... No, he's fun character. I, I, I do like that in the first of these, Godzilla 2014, they track the mutos seismically. Yeah, that was cool. That they're detecting the tremors that come off of them. Now, there was a line in the first one, in Godzilla 2014, where there's something's happening where the, the muto is moving, and someone makes a, makes a comment about how one station is the only station reporting the tremors. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not how tremors work. No. They radiate. Yeah. Everyone's going to detect it. But I like that they're tracking them through their seismic signature. That's a pretty cool idea. That's a neat concept because of how big they are. And then in King of the Monsters, they're tracking their... They ha it's, like the, um, it's like the action movie scenario where they send out all the pilots yeah. and they have the vitals on all of them yeah. so that you can sit in the command room and watch all the screens flick off as yep. the alien kills them all or it's whatever. Like, it's very much got that feel to it. They have this idea that there's... This bioacoustic latent signature on all the titans and all animals mm -hmm. that you can just pick up and with the right technology and people to do stuff, you can tell everything about their health. Yes. Their heart rate, their vitals. I always love when movies are like, oh, their vitals are doing something. It's like, what do you mean vitals? Yeah, right, yeah. Like their vitals are through the roof. Like what? I know there's meaning to that, but what do you mean? What do you think it means? Yeah, it's the same thing as in like the <laughs> um, uh, the second Star Trek movie, the new, of the new Star Trek movies, where they're showing him dying, and it's just a percentage going down. Yes, <laughs> ah, his life is going down. <laughs> He's yeah, his health bar yeah is decreasing. This kind of has that feeling where they're just like, oh no. His thing is not doing good. <laughs> His stuff's gone wonky. <laughs> so the scientists are vague at best. Yeah, and most of them in kind of made up sciences. And they're tropey in the same way that everyone in this movie is tropey. Yes. Because it's doing very much the same thing Skull Island did, where it's these people aren't the reason we made this movie. So they're one note. They're here to move it along. Including the science-y characters. Yep. And then monsters come up. Yep. These are these people are here to get us from fight scene one to fight scene two to fight scene three. And and that's... So we recognize that. Oh, yeah. No, as always. Yes. We're not saying it's a bad movie because it has bad science. It has terrible science. But this has some of the goofiest scientists. <laughs> yeah. They're... <laughs> well, they're very classically tropey. Well... To compare back to episode three of this series when we discussed Pacific Rim, mm -hmm. even though those scientists were goofier than these, they at least did science. Did science, <laughs> and I knew what their degree was in. Yeah, they had specialties. <laughs> like Dr. Sarazawa is just Dr. Sarazawa. I feel like he was the guy that was there for one of the events. It's <laughs> it's like um it's like Agent K in Men in Black, where it's like, why are you in here? Oh, because I was there when we found aliens. Yes. <laughs> well, and, and you definitely get the impression that he's a titanologist. Yeah, like that's what he's... Similar to Jurassic World uh, Fallen Kingdom, where it's 
you are scientists in the made-up science that this world has now required to exist. Yes. Because Titans exist, we need a Titan zoologist. One other thing that I thought was interesting, and this is more on the science side, they give the Titans taxonomic names in King of the Monsters. do. They are all Titanus something. Yeah, their genus is Titanus. All in the same genus, which is real interesting. Yep. Because they are very different. Yep. Although, I was talking to Sean about this, and we stumbled on the thought that, well, if they're like hundreds of millions of years old, maybe they started out very similar <laughs> and the same genus, but they've all diverged. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In their life. But yeah, they're... It's a very, it's a very broad genus. Titanus Gojira, mm-hmm. Gojira, the Japanese name of Godzilla. Titanus Mosura, yeah, which is Mosura, which is the Japanese name of Mothra, which I thought was pretty cool. It was very cool. Titanus Behemoth, yep. And so, and then Monster Zero, who I think didn't have. I don't know if I don't think it showed it in the movie. Oh yeah, yeah. That I don't think Monster Zero had a taxonomic name. So they did give it Titanus Ghidorah. For him as well. Ah, that uh, that bugs me. Yeah. Because he's an alien. Yeah, that shouldn't... And he shouldn't be in the same genus. Shouldn't shouldn't be that. Which is... Unless they're a pan-universal genus. And then uh, now it's... Yeah. Not so, how taxonomy works. It's like how plant taxonomy doesn't work the same way as animal <laughs> taxonomy. Titan taxonomy is its own thing. That's uh, And this is where, obviously, Titanus big animal that looks like this. Another big animal that looks like... Yeah. And another big animal. So it's not actual taxonomic names. No, but they're using the same they tried. binomial. They they gave it their best shot. They as good a shot as they could without actually looking up how it works or asking somebody who knows what, knows what they're talking about. Yeah, that's you know what more could you ask? We, you know they only had however many millions of dollars to make this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's only been since 1954. <laughs> so some interesting science, some interesting scientists, and. Interesting concepts being thrown around in this movie. Yeah, so there's some fun science mm-hmm. intersection here. Now, before we wrap up this year's Silver Screen Science special, Ooh, Kaijun. Kaijun, Kaijun, we are still going to end with some mini rants yeah. to give us a chance to pick at these movies on the things that we want to nitpick a little bit without... Our- technical discussion our one little moment to just be petty (laughs) i'll let you start our final nitpicks in godzilla 2014 there's a scene towards the end where godzilla's fighting the mutos and the military people who've been following the mutos around the whole movie realize that big female muto has made a nest yes and laid a bunch of eggs in it and if the eggs hatch now we're going to be overrun with mutos so Quicksilver goes over in there and he's like, wait, I'm not leaving yet. And he creates some sort of bomb because yeah, he's the bomb he, guy. He, he um, opens up a, a, a fuel truck and yes, sets it so that it'll, it'll light itself on fire. Lights the whole thing on fire, just manages to get out. Yeah, he's really slow in this movie. Mo- <laughs> I don't know why he didn't just get out of there. <laughs> Uh, and why was his sister at home the whole time? She could have been helping. Uh, but I had a lot to say about the two of them in this movie. That was weird. <laughs> <laughs> Game of Thrones has been really popular lately. <laughs> so Mama Muto goes back to the nest and is distraught, 
Really sad sounding. Yes! I felt really bad. Like, sees all her burnt baby eggs. Sees all the eggs, and then (laughs) stares down. He trips over something. He hits like a dunk-dunk rock. And she, this hundreds of thousands of ton creature, (laughs) sees him and gets in real close and glares him down. This is a thing that the movies have been doing the whole time. It's the same thing as when the V-Rexes in Skull yeah. Island were trying to grab Anne out of Kong's hand. Yep. It's the same thing that as when the uh, uh, Kaiju in Pacific Rim were... Like, though the one in the flashback scene is chasing the little, little girl. girl. Like, why do these monsters pay so much attention to individual like if i came if i had built a little like if i was playing with a little action figure like a dollhouse i'm playing with a dollhouse yeah and i come back and my dollhouse is burnt down and i notice an ant walking away from the scene yes i'm not gonna notice the ant yeah what is the human and it's it's this this very anthropocentric like regardless of whatever else happens individual humans are not below the notice exactly of these colossal humans you're not that important like even when you create creatures the point of which is that you don't matter to them yeah you still make yourselves matter to them why would a creature that size pay any attention to the little like just i get it when it's like a swarm of humans firing machine guns yeah and you're like hey stop it and you you nest of hornets and kong is supposed to be super intelligent so he's like nick fury you've been doing all this yes but in general it doesn't make any sense to to picture a that is that's like t-rex chasing mice around yeah out of spite why it's and they even and they even lean on it a little bit in King of the Monsters, where they suggest that we are equivalent to a Titan because of our effects. Yeah. It's weird. It's a little... Yeah, it's it's that stimulus thing. It's oh, yes. They'll notice everything and they'll react to everything. The other part about that scene that always bugs me is she notices him because he stumbles over a rock. Whilst Godzilla is fighting her mate in the background. Yeah, like, off in the... Now, I am totally willing to forgive this little nitpicky thing, because while she's staring at him, behind her, uh, a glow (laughs) arises. And it's, like, the best part of the movie. Oh, absolutely. So, that's definitely a weird scene. Now, people listening out there are going over, and I'm sure... But the Titans are supposed to be hyper-intelligent. The Titans understand who humans are. Godzilla actively interacts with the humans in that one scene. I know. It's my mini rant. I'm kvetching. Yes. (laughs) I get it. I know. It's it's fine. It's just weird. It'd be like if you heard a mouse near your campsite and went, what is that? (laughs) That's what it is. It's not like a mouse is in your room. There's stuff going on everywhere. And all of a sudden you go, whoa, lizard. Hang on a second. This mouse. You. It's it's a little weird. What's your mini rant? My mini rant has to do with the superpowers that the male Muto is shown to have. Female's never shown to have it. But the male Muto is shown to have it. And 
almost all the Titans have some sort of superpower. Godzilla has his atomic breath. Yep. Ghidorah has his gravity beams. His lightning breath. The Mothra has her her web shot. Yep, her string shot. String shot. And so they each have their things. The male Muto has an EMP pulse. An amp. Boom. This big bubble of electromagnetic energy. Shuts down all the electronics. All the military equipment. Planes start falling out of the sky. Yeah, it's it's incredibly powerful. Reaches for just thousands of feet. Yep. What was that used against before technology? Yeah. We never once see the male use that against Godzilla somehow and, like, stun Godzilla or, like, turn off his atomic breath. No. And, like, an EMP, a super strong EMP, should have a biological reaction. But, but we it never, doesn't. We never see it use that. It just claws and bites him. So why why do you have an anti-technology weapon, ancient monster? It doesn't even affect the people. No, like, it does it nothing to us. apparently have any biological impacts. It just turns off all the stuff we would use to fight it. It was, ooh, this is going to be real useful in 500 million years, I bet. And some people may be saying, hey, one of the kaiju in Pacific Rim did that. Yes, specifically designed to fight Jaegers. Yeah, that was was the point. Leatherback specifically is an (laughs) anti-Jaeger weapon. Yes. With an EMP pulse on his back to take out the the machinery of their enemy. That is a designed weapon. (laughs) I like to imagine that Muto... They hatched and looked around at the complex and went, finally, I've been waiting. Yes, all these years. I'll show them all. It's the underdog going around. Kneel before me. (laughs) Godzilla, you're still. Dang it. Nuts. (laughs) I was expecting Mechagodzilla. Those things in monster movies always get me. When the monster's (laughs) like, oh, no, they can, you know mess with electric fields why yeah why Why is that a thing they can do how is that something that would be useful for them outside of this film that makes no sense it's like the arguments about bigfoot that (laughs) they that they can uh, they can detect cameras and cover them up and avoid them yeah why from all the from all the you know predatory cameras that they evolved next to the parasitic (laughs) cameras that would that would fall what (laughs) It's, yeah. it's, yes, I get what you're going for. I don't get why it's there. So, yeah. So, there you go. As always, if you are a patron or if you'd like to become a patron, we will put up our non sciencey thoughts. Our more thoughts. Just movie thoughts up on the Patreon. Or we will, we will discuss it as a film. And in this one, you'll get to hear us talk about the new one, King of the Monsters. And you will hear our... Now, I know you're waiting on bated breath to hear... How we felt about it. Yeah, no, we've been keeping it real secret. Real close to the vest. You'll have to wait. I, we am not going to give anything away not about gonna, how awesome, I mean, not what it was. Not going to tell you any of the super awesome, incredible things. Nope. I, we won't tell you when we go see it again. No. 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 You'll, have you'll to, just have to be surprised twice. you have to find out for yourself. So go check that out. And thanks, everyone, for... Listening through our discussion of a bunch of weird monster movies and the science that surprisingly is to be found in a lot of them. Yeah, the 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 good science, the tropey stuff, always fascinating. Like we said, examining that intersection of science and pop culture. It's surprising how much there was to actually discuss. Yeah. You wouldn't think that with kaiju films, 
you would have much material to work with from a scientific discussion standpoint. You know, we could do more thoughts on these for the end of time, but it's surprisingly, yeah, they deal with a lot of interesting concepts, some better than others, some more insightfully than others, some completely made up concepts, but still interesting. So hope you enjoyed. As always, if you liked it, Yes. Let us know, especially with these little side series, because we're we're going to keep doing the main numbered episodes. Yeah. For the foreseeable future. But that's the that's the bread and butter. We're kind of shooting from the hip a lot of the time with these side series. So let us know what you liked, what you'd like more of, what yes. you'd like less of. Yes. <laughs> and give us your thoughts. Your more thoughts. More thoughts from you would be wonderful. And with this, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this series of Silver Screen Science. We now return you to your regularly scheduled podcast. See you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Common Descent Podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and check our WordPress blog for pictures and links after each episode. Huge thanks to our patrons whose support helps keep this podcast running and who get access to bonus goodies on Patreon. The song you're hearing is called On the Origin of Species by Protodome, which we found at ocremix.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us next time.